Welcome back to the podcast, friends. Today I am interviewing Rose Brower Young, and she is a district superintendent for the Church of the Nazarene up in Canada. We talk a lot about church planting, but mostly just being innovative. So not necessarily planting churches, but being innovative and creative uh, to reach our communities in different ways. She talks about doing life in the community, uh, which we've talked about before on the podcast and other episodes. Um, She has a great quote where she says, survival should not be our goal. And then we talk a little bit about progress versus outcome or process versus outcome. I'd love to have her back on and really dig into that a little bit more. Um, and we, we touch on it some, but I think we could have gone a lot deeper with it. And I think one of the most interesting parts of this episode for me was hearing how the whole, you know, women clergy issue that we have here in the States, is not really such a big deal over there. And they're just, they're just looking for strong leaders, spirit-filled leaders. And I guess to me, that was encouraging. Maybe we'll see that happen sooner rather than later here in the States. Uh, if you're not, if you haven't been watching, if you've been following whatever social media, Saddleback Church, which is one of the largest Southern Baptist churches in the States, ordained three women over uh, Mother's Day weekend. Actually, there were a lot of Southern Baptist churches that had women preaching on Mother's Day. And it was just fabulous. I was so encouraged by it. So I guess I want to give a shout out to Rick, Pastor Rick Warren. Uh, he's always impressed me anyway. Uh, he's always had just a humble heart and tried to elevate women in in lay ministry. And then to to see what he's doing now uh, gives me more hope for the church in the States. So, and then one other thing I want to talk to you about is I am going to launch a 90 day leadership challenge. I will, I will put the links in the show notes for you. Katie Cole is one of the keynote speakers for the Wesleyan Holiness Women Clergy Conference that's coming next March, March 2022. And uh, she wrote a book called Find Your Leadership Voice in 90 Days. So I'm going to take a group of people through that. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to connect up at least once a week, uh, either on Facebook or on Zoom. So right now I'm kind of leaning towards doing Zoom every other week. And then on the off weeks when we don't meet in Zoom, I'll do some kind of a little live in my uh, Facebook group. Like uh, It's a closed Facebook group. So if you want to be a part of that, um, this is for women of faith. So it doesn't matter where you are ordained, if you're a lay leader, if you're working in the public sector, but you want uh, to level up a little bit in your leadership, this this material, I've already started going through it, looks great. And it would just be encouraging to do it together as a group. So check out the links in the show notes. Get registered for it. This is free. All right. I'm just going to lead this group uh, so that we can encourage and challenge one another to grow as leaders. Because what we need now more than ever are strong leaders in the church. And we especially need strong female leaders in the church. 
uh, folks, this is this is our day, right? Uh, for those of you who are part of the Wesleyan Holiness Church, I really, really do feel like this is our time to shine for Christ, to make an impact for the kingdom in some new ways. And I want you to be on the front lines of that. So check it out. Register, even if you're already or even if you already follow my blog, get on there and register anyway, because I'll that way I'll make sure uh, I send you the emails for the Zoom links and some of the other information. You will need to purchase the book um, in order for you to be able to track, because it's every day there'll be a little bit of reading, but they're short, short readings for each day. You can do this. I know you can. Jump on there, register for the 90-Day Leadership Challenge, and enjoy the episode. We've been trying to tell better stories about women and clergy and the church because we really need to tell better stories. Instead of just complaining about it, what if we flood the airwaves with something different? So whereabouts okay. are you located, are Joanne? You I'm in Detroit. Okay. I'm just outside of Detroit in Michigan. Uh, I'm across the border from Windsor, Ontario. Yeah. Ambassador Bridge. And yeah. are you pastoring a, a church there or what? what's your role that you're working in right now? Yeah, I'm pastoring a church. I'm the planting pastor. So I planted 10 years ago. We just celebrated 10 years uh, uneventfully during the pandemic. So... And then now we're starting to roll out some dinner churches also. So uh, last summer, we launched two dinner churches out of our congregation. So they're kind of under the umbrella of us. They're still part of our congregation, but we're just trying to reach some people who won't show up, you know, in your more traditional Sunday morning setting. And so we've had a good response, especially a lot of them, I think, are going to end up reaching you know, people who play sports and stuff like that on Sundays. Joanne, so. you're speaking my language. That is so funny that that's what you're doing. <laughs> so my daughter Rayleigh just got married um, February 17 of last year, two weeks before everything shut down for the pandemic. And she and her husband, oh. he just graduated uh, in 2019 from Ambrose University, which is our regional educational institution in Canada. And they are wanting to plant a church. And kind of like a brunch church. So they are working to do oh, all that awesome. together. Yeah. So that is so exciting. And for the same reason, like uh, they're both, Rayleigh's a ballet instructor. Uh, Mark's working in a furniture store. And they have these colleagues that are very open to spiritual conversations. But Sunday morning just does not relate at all. You know, they're very respectful. But Rayleigh says, you know, we need to have something where we can just gather together around food and, and talk, right? Like what other place in the world do you sit and sing together? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, at a concert when everybody's waving their right? cell phone lights, but uh, <laughs> yeah, so they're pretty excited about that. I'm so excited right? for you. That's fantastic. That's great. It's been great. I'm trying to, the more people we can get uh, just doing, uh, you know, anything, any way we can make inroads for the kingdom, we just we're gonna have to start being creative and innovative and really just increase that more and more, especially as we're coming out of the pandemic. Like I mean, we needed it beforehand, but I think this pandemic has showed us 
how much more we really need to be creative and innovative and just wherever mm-hmm. wherever we can uh, gather with people, you know, like anywhere we can, we can find ways to just, I mean, I've, I've heard Wesley, you know, Wesley said, the world is my parish. But I think probably this last year has made that even more evident of we really have to, that has to become our mantra almost. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I just had a meeting yesterday again with Mark Bain, trying to get some some things happening here on our district. And the the whole language of church planting is quite foreign to me. Isn't that crazy uh, as a district leader? So I know some of my predecessors have tried to do some church planting, but it was from the district. It was a district initiative. And we poured in a lot of money, like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it did not translate into um, much growth at all. Um, just talking with Mark and trying mm-hmm. to understand and to be, like you said, creative, where church is going to look different in the next 20 years than what it has for the last 50. And we need to be okay with that and give people freedom and permission to go as the spirit right. is leading them, right? I get excited about it, but uh, we're a little, I think sometimes we're a little nervous yeah. and, and afraid of doing that. I'm trying to you know, the pandemic's really slowed things down, but I would really like to try a house church out of our place. Uh, we moved back to the farm where my husband grew up and intentionally renovated to accommodate uh, 40 people sitting at a table all the way down. So I would like to start doing oh, something, awesome. but it, it gets to be a bit of a busy schedule. But if Mark Bain can do it once a month at two and a half hours, then I can do something. So yeah. Anyway, well, that's exciting to hear right? Joanne. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I read Alan Hirsch's The Shaping of Things to Come, which he wrote, I think, in 2003. He, he did an updated version in 2013. I read it sometime around 07, I think, which is really what you know God used to get me to plant a church. Like, he really kind of shaped my heart through that book. Um, but then, it, like, even rereading it this last year, I just thought, well, it's all, it's all it was almost like a prophetic. Like, some of the things he's saying, I just feel like we are we are just so ready. and And probably so ready to see the Wesleyan holiness people like rise up Hmm. and really shine. Like we haven't shined since, you know, the late 1800s because this, this culture right now, like, well, especially here for us in the States, and I'm going to guess probably similar to you in Canada, which I do want to ask you about at some point, but they're like, they're frustrated with the fundamentalist voices um, and, you know, reformed theology voices. And when you start, preaching Wesleyan holiness, they really respond. They're like, where has this been? Where has this message been all my life? You know, uh, I feel like, you know, every, every pastor that's in a, uh, some kind of a Wesleyan, you know, denomination, y'all just need to be writing a blog, a daily blog or something. Cause we need to, we need to hear your voices more. But uh, Mark Bain anyways, also suggested uh, one of Ellen Hirsch's yeah. books, The Forgotten Way. Yeah. So I'm going to try and pick that up and read it as well. He's a, he's a thinker. I love it. Yes. Okay. Wait a minute. Now, when, when were you elected DS? In June of 2018 was the election. So I began about July 30th, uh, that, of that year. So, and then 10 days later, I had to host our family camp, which is one of our bigger events on the district, our, our Alberta family camp. And we had Jaron Rowell and Dave Busick there. (laughs) I didn't have a clue what was going on or what was happening. Oh, wow. but, uh, yeah. So I've been coming up to three years now. So I was supposed to be up for re-election uh, last year, but everything was held over because of the pandemic. So that will be coming up here in a month and a half, I guess. Yeah. Well, and even still, you 
I mean, you barely had 18 months before the pandemic hit. So nothing like being thrown in the deep end, It's right? true. You feel like, <laughs> I felt like I was just starting to grasp a bit of air, you know, because uh, the pace is crazy. If you ever wondered what a DS does with their time, there's a lot of meetings involved. My goodness. Yeah. And so actually, I've appreciated <laughs> the Zoom world because it's, I feel like it's been much more effective use of my time. You know, whether I have one or two meetings and I'm on the road a lot, uh, this way I can get like five meetings done in a day. So it just feels more productive. Right. Our district, uh, Canada West, is one of the largest oh, yeah. geographical districts in USA, Canada. So I think we're a thousand miles east to west and a thousand miles wow. north to south. And uh, right now with the pandemic, we are uh, discouraged from even interprovincial travel. So my district has three provinces, Alberta, Saskatchewan, oh. and Manitoba. So that makes it difficult too, but I'm not even really traveling much in Alberta. It, and your, now your provinces are probably equivalent to our counties, I'm going to guess. More like your states, you, I don't, but you even don't then they're a little bigger. But a large part of our oh. population is kind of closer to the border, I would say, although we have several northern communities too. But we don't have a lot of work happening there yet. We did back in the, I think it was the 50s and 60s, but it was really, it's difficult to find people willing to serve in those areas. Yeah. And why is, because it's rural or urban or is it because it's by the border? Like what, what seems to be the, the Yeah, good question. I think obstacle they're so far there. away from a lot of other populations. So, and it is quite rustic in many areas. Uh, oil and gas would be big economy there. So I'm not sure. That's a good question, Joanne, because it's beautiful country. You know, it's kind of like Alaska, you yeah. know, that kind of area. Just beautiful. Right. Now, before you were elected DS, were you at Calgary East then? Were you at Calgary East when you got elected? Yes, that's correct. I've been there for about eight and a half years pastoring. Yeah. Yeah, they're beautiful people. <laughs> yeah. So when I found out about the election, so not everybody was on a social media. So I needed to let our people know right away the next day. And it just broke my heart. Like I just felt so, and it was um, communion Sunday. And so I kind of left, I drafted this message, but I was wow. going to wait to the very end of service. And as these people were coming forward to receive communion, I just, oh, it just gripped my heart. And I started weeping. I must've had tears in the in the glasses and everything. And this one little girl, she's about 11 at the time. She noticed that I was just emotionally distraught. You know, she comes up and she gives me a side hug. She goes, it's okay, Pastor Rose. It'll be okay. She didn't even know what the problem was. Just trying to comfort me. Yeah. They're just beautiful people. And that's still my home church. It's where my husband, Brad and I continue to hold our membership and he ministers there on a regular basis. It was hard to leave. Are you close enough to go visit occasionally? Yeah. I don't, I don't know how far away you're. Yes. So I was blessed. I do not know how district superintendents are able to move to another state or province. To have to, it's difficult. So it was helpful for me. We didn't even really have to move houses. And this is the district where I grew up. Uh, very helpful when I see numbers like on a graph or something. I know a lot of the story behind that which is helpful for me. We live currently in Calgary right. and Calgary East, of course, it's on the other side of the city, but you know, when your district's a thousand square miles, a 35 minute drive isn't so bad. Talk about Calgary East. 
at, at the you know eight years is a long time, so you're able to, you know, I think those first three years, you really you're not doing a whole lot. I mean, figuring out the landscape and stuff like that, and maybe it's easier if you know the area when you when you go there. But like, what was some of the big things that you really learned or took away from being there for eight years? Because that's well, at least for here in the states, that's pretty here in the states most pastors only stay about five years and then they're moving mm. so i feel like if you get if you get eight eight and a half years then you can really start to do some different things and learn some different things yeah so my first couple of years there i allowed the people to grieve the loss of their previous pastor he had been there 16 years and was well loved yeah. and so i needed to allow them to do that and not to bring in a lot of change so the changes that we did do were ones that were obvious a lot of things on the building that everybody knew needed to happen and so that it was easy to do those renovations right. and make the changes uh, some of the other things that i learned during my time at calgary east was there's a story behind everything so don't be don't assume don't be too hasty to throw things mm -hmm. out or innovate listen for the stories right doesn't mean that the ideas that i have shouldn't happen but we need to honor the people behind those stories and those items. So not just a story behind everything, but there's a story behind every one, right? So I needed to slow down and take the time to listen and build up the people because my opinion of them mattered, which was interesting to me. You know, when you become a pastor, what you say, your words really impact people. So praise them in public and correct in private. So that was something yeah. that I learned. Another thing I learned about Calgary East was that the community is not going to come to us. Even if our flower bed looks great and we have a great sign with pithy sayings, right? We need to be in our community. And when we do that, ministry is going to be messy and we needed to be okay with that. Um, and so some, you know, there's a few incidents that happen. Like we have people that would come in and need to use the washroom and they're in there, you know, doing their drugs kind of thing. So the difference between grace and yeah. setting boundaries, that was important. So that was interesting for me. Um, another thing that I learned for effective ministry is to get to know your community leaders or how about become one of them. So make friends with the community liaison officers, right. your community association leaders, other church leaders in the area. Where's your provincial or your state politician's office, right? Do a community exegesis. What are the issues? Don't assume that you know what they are. So in where Calgary East is, um, oh, sorry, Joanne, I should give you a bit of a background there. There used to be eight Nazarene churches in the city of Calgary. We have over 2 million people now. We're currently with three. Oh, wow. We only have three. Now we're hoping to plant a couple more in the next couple of years. But they're all, those three remaining ones are in different areas of the city. And where Calgary East is located, there's a lot of different ethnic groups, but there's some uh, tensions that arise out of that, where that area was declared uh, 10 of the areas in the city that would be ghettoized if we did, if it, the government didn't intervene and bring some help. So, you know, lucky us, we got our very own social worker just for our area. So the, the people that we minister to, the ministry looked quite different than our other two sister churches. So it was important that we become engaged with that. Now, I was this white woman um, I had to listen carefully for what the issues were. We thought, well, we just need a food bank and uh, school supplies. 
but there were resources just being trucked into that area, right? And yet there's a deeper need. So what is it, the need in that area that Calgary East could fill that the social worker's office couldn't fill or the Calgary Flames hockey team couldn't fill, right? What is that? What is it that God is calling us to? So that's what we were really starting to address when I got called away to this other assignment. And our pastor there now, Ryan Herbert's doing a great job of trying to understand the community and get to know the people the best he can. Right. And was that, is that a racially diverse area then? Very. Um, We had 16 different languages spoken in our small congregation that we had. Yeah. And so we also had a couple other churches that used our building. One was a Spanish group and the other was Sudanese. And this Sudanese group came together. They were in a refugee camp and were attacked by civilian soldiers. Everybody there lost loved ones through that massacre. And eventually they'd come over one by one to Canada. And every year they gather uh, as a memorial service. And it's long. It's like seven, eight hours to remember, to cry, to pray. And out of that, they built this church. And so they've been using the facility too. So, and lots of our people. So 20% of Canadians were not born in Canada. So we have a large proportion of immigration in our country. And I think Calgary East area really reflected that. And so it's an exciting place to try and figure out really what the needs of the people are as they try to, you know, climb it to their new country. What are the expectations that are there for them and to help them appreciate their neighbors instead of, I mean, for us too, we tend to just come around those that we know that look like us and are familiar. So we, we need boldness and confidence in what God's called us to. It's exciting. I had not been part of something like that. I was a small town, central Alberta girl, you know, here I am in the big city in the whole immigration area of (laughs) Calgary. It's like, God, what are you doing? But it was a lot of fun. Yeah, we're we're fairly racially diverse. My congregation is not, though. We're trying. We're 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 trying to move in that direction. So, uh, but the larger area, larger community area is, and I think that dinner church is going to help with some of that for us. And of course, some of it right now we don't even know what we don't know what we are right now because of the pandemic. So we'll figure it out mm-hmm. maybe next year. Yeah, but, the pandemic sure has made uh, things uncertain, hasn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah. The other thing that I I was just going to mention this quick too, Joanne, before we moved on. One of the other things that I really learned at Calgary East, and I mean, I'm not very young. I should have known it before, but it really came uh, to life for me was the importance of prayer. You know, as Christian leaders, we can't rely on our own sparkling personalities or our creative ideas. You know, we need to be in prayer. This is the Lord's ministry and learning to hear the voice of God and understand his promptings. Uh, I heard recently that we need to develop a culture of attentiveness. So being attentive to what's going on around Mm. us, like when this person comes to the door, I'm going to think that God brought us together for this particular time. And so to be praying into that, God, what is it that you want to have happen through this encounter? So that really came to life too for me at Calgary East. You know, that's something we know but um, to be able to live it out, that was a big learning lesson for me too during that chapter. And, and I think probably even more so as we, we come down the backside of this pandemic and really just knowing what what are we going to do next, 
because otherwise the temptation is to just keep doing what we've been doing. Yeah. You know, this, this is really, it's really going to shape us for generations. Mm -hmm. When you look at, obviously a lot of my listeners are from the States, but I do have some who are from, you know, Europe or, or other countries that are listening. You just kind of do some comparison. A comparison is probably not the word I want, but what are some of the maybe the bigger things that are different from the church in Canada versus the states? And and I'm thinking both, you know, the denomination, but then also just the church in a you know with a large C. If you think about all the different denominations across your, you know, across your area where you're, you know, overseeing. Like, what are some of the big things that you see are some of the differences that, like, maybe we could learn from our, you know, our sister nation to the north? <laughs> yeah, I would say, Joanne, that there is a different culture between Canada and the States quite a bit. Uh, first of all, our churches are not structured around politics. So, for example, in Canada, it is not known what the religion is of most of our politicians, even our prime minister. And religion is perhaps seen in more of a negative light here in Canada. Uh, in the States, your media follows your leaders to their places of worship and takes images of them while they're praying, you know, or listening to the sermons. That is not done here at all. Right. I would say that church in general is irrelevant to many Canadians. So Gary Nelson, who is president of Tyndale Seminary in Toronto, has a book out called Borderland Churches. Uh, a congregation's introduction to missional living. He speaks about how church mm. is now living in the margins of our culture. No one really cares what the church thinks in Canada. We're, we aren't even invited to the table for discussion on issues. We really are living on the, in the borderlands, in the weeds, so to right. speak. Um, I've heard that in, there are places in the States where the church mm. is still the center of towns and communities. In Canada, for the large part, new development companies they don't even plan uh, land for places of worship in their communities anymore. So, you know, if we wanted to build in some of our outer areas of our cities, we would have to look into renting community halls or gymnasiums of the schools, things like that. Mm. So only 5% of our population in Canada right now, I would say is actively involved in faith. And uh, so for some of us, that might be a cause for lament, but really... What an incredible mission field we are living in, right? There is so much work to be done that uh, right. God has called us to. And it's quite yeah. exciting. Like um, we had talked about how open people are to spiritual conversations. I was thinking of um, a, a young man who works with my son-in-law. And as soon as he heard, so just last Sunday, Mark was preaching at the church where they are ministering right now. And um, as soon as this young man heard Mark was preaching, he went to hear Mark preach. And when I did that, I went on Zoom because I wanted, but I put on, I, his name starts with C. So I, I put on my C filter. How is this, everything that we're singing, we're saying, how will he interpret this? And I thought, wow, we have our own church language. And we take for granted that everyone knows what we're talking about, you know? Oh, yeah. And so C was very respectful but I'm not sure that church spoke to him in any particular way, right? And so this new church plant that Mark and my daughter Rayleigh are hoping to plant someday is a way of addressing those kind of people. And C is definitely going to be getting an invite. He's told them, let me know when you're starting that because I want to be a part. And he's going to bring his girlfriend. And So it, 
our church is going to have to look different. Uh, another thing I was going to say that's um, different is that we don't have really a lot of mega churches in Canada, uh, especially in the Nazarene church. Like I think our largest oh, one yeah. in our country might be 800 people. We have lots of uh, smaller churches and several compassionate ministry centers. That's a big thing. So on our district alone, we have five organized compassionate ministry centers. And I would say 80% of our churches are involved in compassionate ministries of some kind. Um, we all we only have five districts across all of Canada. And I think there's 68 or 70 or something in the States. <laughs> so um, our five districts, we cooperate together. So as superintendents, we gather every month on Zoom all of us to pray and to share together and try to build a national vision and strategy for how we're going to reach our country for Canada. Cause we've got to work together. If we're going to do this, no one is an island unto themselves. We need one another. So those are a few things that are different here in Canada. Wow. First of all, just the fact that all of you can get on zoom together, all the, all the DSs can get on zoom together. Like that's just, yeah, it would be, it would be a madhouse to try to do a zoom. <laughs> Of all of the DSs, but um, really, you know, that we're not an island unto ourselves and we have to, we start looking for other ways to move into the communities. And oh, there's something you said that I just, it kind of struck me. Um, like we have some areas that would be yeah, really receptive, but then we have some areas where I think maybe the pandemic has just reminded me again of people I've had conversations with that you know, they, they've heard the name Jesus, but their idea of him is really been shaped by Hollywood and also the crazy Christian stories that end up in the media, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, the ones that we are not pr proud of at all. And, and so that's, and so they really don't know the true story of Jesus. And even as we came through uh, Lent and then Easter, as we started telling the stories, I mean, just the stories from the gospel, they're like, wait a minute, I didn't, I didn't know that. Like, I didn't know it was his disciples that turned him in. Like, like just some of those basic things that, about the gospel story that we just take for granted because we've been in the church for so long that we, we forget about those things, you know, mm -hmm. um, those little details and nuance. Cause I, th these yeah. things inspire me. So my niece in another town here in Alberta, was work was working with some of her, it was in high school and she was asked being asked some questions about her faith. And this man, this boy came along and was very critical, like against Christianity and believers and things like that. And somehow they connected. He ended up at their house. My brother-in-law and sister were able to share a little more about why they believe in this Jesus and who he is and what he means to them. And he said, I have never heard of Jesus before. Why has nobody ever told me this? So to make a long story short, his beliefs mm -hmm. rose out of negativity that he heard out of his life, right? His home. He found the Lord. And of course, that was uh, not a good decision as far as relationships with his parents. It was dicey for a while. Uh, he spent a lot of time being discipled at my sister's place, started going to church with them, to their youth group, got called into ministry, met and married this beautiful young girl. And, you know, if they hadn't been bold enough to share about Christ, he would have been wandering with these misunderstandings about Christianity and about who God is. There are so many people in our circles that we just make mm -hmm. assumptions that when we talk about Jesus or God, it's the same thing for them. 
And so to be able to get on the same page and right. have that relationship with one another that we can have conversations that, that excites me now when I see people, mm. you know, and it's kind of nice being a woman and a pastor because it is a little foreign to most people and it piques their interest right away. Oh, why, why are you doing that? And I've had so many mm. fun, fruitful conversations just because of that one piece. And being a woman in, in ministry has opened up with unchurched people in the dialogue of, oh, you mean there's churches that do that? And so it kind of becomes that. But, you know, my husband and I are both adult converts. We both came to faith in Christ as adults. So I didn't know that Jesus was part of the Godhead. Like, I didn't understand that, that Jesus was God. The story of Noah's Ark, when I first started reading the Bible, I remember when I got to the story of Noah's Ark, and I'm like, I didn't know this was in the Bible. I thought this was like, you know, a nursery rhyme, like Grimm's fairy tales or something like that. You know, actually, if you think about it, it could be in Grimm's fairy tales. And, and there's just more and more, you know, that now I've been a Christian for 29 years. So that has just become more of the norm and less the anomaly. Oh, so, Joanne, thanks for sharing that. Um, I love hearing yeah. those kinds of stories, especially for people over 18. You know, you're a walking miracle because the numbers, you know, of, of conversions yeah. really, you know, drop when we become adults. And uh, so to, for somebody to have made that decision, I think, wow, that's God was really reaching out to you. Hey. Yeah. I was in the Catholic church for four years as a, as a new believer and then ended up in the Nazarene church and that's its own story. But I remember when people started talking about prevenient grace, I'm like, you don't have to explain that to me. I, I already understand that <laughs> God was chasing me down long before uh, I came to faith in Christ. So I'm like, that wasn't a, a big leap for me to, to get a hold of prevenient grace. So mm. I was thinking about as a superintendent and we just elected a new uh, superintendent for our district. So this is kind of, you know, at the front of my brain right now, but like, what is it that is you're most passionate about for your district and stuff as a DS? Like everybody has their kind of like their hot buttons and stuff, but like, what's the thing that you're really most passionate about? Oh, Joanne, that's a, <laughs> that's quite a question. And it's probably a little different now than what it would have been a year and a half ago. But I can tell you one of the things that's uh, important yeah. for me is I want us to move from managing process to managing outcomes. We need to be held accountable for results, not our hours worked or the amount of meetings we've attended. Um, many of us as leaders, we manage process because it's kind of laid out for us and we can just keep doing what's been done ahead of us. And it's easier than managing outcomes, but outcomes are what moves our mission forward. I was just kind of starting to come up for air, you know, in, in this role when COVID hit. So long-term planning was put on hold a little as we were, you know, looking around, making sure that, okay, is all our team still here? Are we, are we still together? You know, has anybody gone down for the third time? No. Okay. Let's keep going. But now we need to figure out what our outcomes are going to be as a district. And I'm excited about that because survival should not be our goal. I believe we can do more together than separately. And so we need to work on this. So, you know, along with that, uh, that's more of a strategic systems kind of a thing. I feel like it's important for me to offer hope that there is work for us to do. So let's figure out what that is and how we're going to get it done. You know, culture's working against us. That does not mean that our job is done, probably even more so, but we need to do this together. And local churches, I think, are the front line of ministry. So for me also, everything that we do needs to be supporting those front lines. So our camps, 
our camp ministries, our district funds, our education streams. We need leaders for these churches. So we need to strengthen and develop our local church leaders and not just our pastors, right? Our lay people too, so that they can go out and start some more work. So those are a few of the things that are at the forefront for what I'm trying to work through these first few years. Okay. So I guess, I, I guess I'll come back around to kids town later because I want, I want to kind of go, I feel like we're going somewhere. So I want to stay, stay with this for a minute. Thinking about, cause you're talking about raising up leaders, obviously lay leaders, that's important too, but also pastors and stuff for, maybe this is mostly just for Canada or maybe it's Canada, USA. I want to think about institutional education versus lifelong learning, you know, so continue, continuous education versus institutional. What would be the value for for pastors, like how important is institutional education, which obviously we want to support our institution. So we don't want to say you don't need any of it, but compared to lifelong learning from your perspective as a superintendent, because I think maybe as pastors, we have different ideas, like, you know, how much more education do I need? Like, do I really need a master's? Do I really need a, a PhD or a doctor in ministry? You know what I mean? I want to be careful here. Because education is important as we are shaped and learned how to think, not just what to think, right? And that's something that needs to come out of our higher education. And some people love academics. They love to study. For me, if a person is going to invest a significant amount of time and money into a degree, what will be the outcomes for them? And so I've observed that more degrees don't necessarily make someone a better preacher or a better pastor. And I don't know about you, Joanne, but have you ever overstudied for a message? And then you have to cut and slash a bunch of really good material because the message is too long or it's not as relevant for many in the congregation, right? More education should not keep us from spending time in our communities. More education should not prevent us from speaking in a way that others cannot understand. I know that I'm at risk here of stepping on toes, but Joanne, we can't lose sight of the need to love our neighbors and love is a verb. So don't hide out in the study. If we are the leaders, we need to be modeling and showing our people how to share the gospel. And so this piece right here, talking about the education, it's an an important conversation to have, I think, because we do place a a high degree of our monies, our funding on education. But there's a lot of learning that needs to be done when our boots are on the ground too. We need right. to be taking a look at people who are relational, who feel called of the Lord, who are partnering with the Holy Spirit as well. So when people come to me with their resumes and they're, they're saying they're looking for a place to minister, I mean, degrees are one thing, I guess, to cover, but I'm looking for a track record. Um, And one thing I tell our younger pastors is take some risks, take initiative, start something new. Uh, Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to fail. Go out there and get a job in the secular world. Uh, Rub shoulders with people that don't know Jesus, right? Unless it's through a cuss word. Those are some things, uh, lessons that we need to be learning as well as cracking open a book and writing a thesis. Feel free to dream. Those are some of the things that I like to see on a resume. I mean, oh man, I wish I want people to take initiative so bad, like especially women clergy. That just drives me nuts so much. I'm like, you've got to, uh, you've got to be willing to take a risk. And 
and I would say, especially for women, probably, you know, for men also, but especially for women, we're afraid to take a risk because, man, we don't want that failure on our resume. My thought is, but you have initiative on your resume, not the failure. Because like when I went to plant this church 10 years ago, I mean, there were people who said to me, man, that's really taking a risk because if you fail, like, and I knew that, I'm like, man, if I fail at this, like, it's hard enough for women to get to get a, a position, let alone having a, a failed church plant on your resume, you know, even more so. But I had to look at it at this idea of who would come to know Jesus because we did this, right? Like that has to be the number one thing. But also I'm taking an initiative and I'm willing to put myself out there and we're willing to take you know, we need to be willing to take those risks and see what God will do. And I think that just speaks so loudly. But yeah, there is a sense of, but if I fail, but then, and then the other, the other side of it, when you're talking about the institutional, like, okay, so like for me, I have about a third of my master divinity done. And then I just kind of stop because, you know, this is a lot of time and a lot of money. And am I, well, one, am I ever going to be able to pay those bills off? But also, uh, is this really going to benefit what I'm trying to do for the kingdom? And even like the last couple of years, I've wrestled with this, man, do I go back and finish or do I get a different kind of a master's and being able to weigh whether or not it would be worth it sometimes I think is hard for clergy now of should I even bother to get that master's degree um, when I can get my undergrad and course of study and still do good things for the kingdom. Mm -hmm. I certainly hear what you are saying. So I'm not sure who all listens to the podcast. (laughs) And, and it is interesting the directions that God leads us, you know, down certain paths, you know, for people with looking for a grad degree or post-grad, you know, even to find something that would complement a minister role, like a degree in counseling or something that gets you into a field of like engineering. We have a fellow pastor, he's planting a church in Winnipeg and uh, has his master's degree in engineering, is working with Bell, but he's planting this church, working with international students from the University of Manitoba. So he's using his training and he's going through the course of study. So how would it benefit him to get an MDiv when he's already ministering so effectively and has a good understanding of where these students are? And, but I I also have a friend who, I mean, she walks into Uh. Ambrose university and she just takes this deep breath. It's so life giving for her to be in the library and be with all the books and everything. But again, like for me, it comes to (laughs) outcomes too. And I think that's what you're considering is what are, what are the outcomes for me on this? How is it going to help me reach others for Christ? You might need to cut some of that out. I don't know. No, I, uh, the listeners are kind of like all over the map. So since you talk, since we're talking about the this idea of, will my degree help me get a job basically, right? right. Think about district organizational health. So as pastors, kind of got two sides to this question. One, how can us as pastors come alongside a superintendent and some some of the people who listen are not necessarily Nazarene. So like how can pastors come alongside their district leadership to help support organizational health? And then the other thing was, what's our role in being able to find assignments? You know what I mean? Sometimes we think, well, I'm just going to pray and then somebody's going to come knock on my door and God's <laughs> going to be like, here, even in entire sanctification, there's God's role and our role, right? Like there's still something that you have to do. Exactly. So maybe speak to that also. Yeah. And I know you had asked before 
uh, we came on the podcast, you know, about ordination requirements and things like that. And aren't ordination yeah. requirements an interesting conversation to have in Nazarene circles? Because every district is it different. Is. And as I've gone to some of the M conferences yeah. and chatted with some of my American colleagues, I've been surprised at the variety of requirements from district to district. Um, and even depending on your board of ministry members, the same district will change its requirements somewhat over time. So I want to be careful here because um, I know many of us are living out ministry mm -hmm. in many different contexts. I remember in 2015, I was privileged to be at the preachers conference at NTS and uh, got into a conversation there. Shauna Songer Gaines was there that year. And at the time yeah. she was taking a position as chaplain at one of our Nazarene educational institutions. And she shared briefly with me about some of the struggles that our called sisters are having in finding a place to minister. And I was shocked, Joanne, because honestly, that has not been my experience in Canada. We have many women in ministry uh, all across all of our districts. And I think I can safely speak for my fellow superintendents here in Canada that gender is not an issue for us. You know what we need? We need competent, spirit-filled leaders. We need leaders who are willing to take risks, who are going to stand shoulder yeah. to shoulder in our communities and pour into them. Another thing I guess would be, as a, a woman, just be prepared to give an answer when you're challenged as to why Nazarenes think women can be called into spiritual leadership. Like we need to know that stuff too, right? As ministers, we need to live out our calling with grace and humility and to model servant leadership. And some of our sisters have a chip on their shoulder that's bigger than an anvil and you can see it, you know, and they, they carry it with them and it weighs <laughs> them down. So yeah. One of the best ways that I can think of that would help me as a DS promote somebody as a pastor is, again, to build that track record. Keep a monthly ministry log and start a ministry of some sort that shows you're taking initiative. I've heard from several people tell me that they are called to preach, and that's good. But I'm needing people who are also called to pastor and to lead and to model making disciples. When you're looking, you know, for ordination yeah. and stuff, when our district licensed ministers are interviewed, I think they should feel free to contact those board of ministry members who interviewed them. Build relationships with those on your district and ask questions. Beg them for their funeral sermons, right? What did they do for weddings? Take part in district webinars. <laughs> Go to prayer gatherings that are being offered, right? Find out what is um, celebrated in people's churches and what's a hardship for them. But I want to say this as emphatically as I can. We need you. We need you on our districts because church is going to look different than anything that I have been trained to lead or have experienced in my years as a pastor. And we need one another to figure this out. One of the things you talked about, right. or I'd ask the question about what you know, how can we help with organizational health on a district? And I would say it's making a healthy church. And that doesn't always translate into numbers. Having a healthy church includes making babies and making disciples. And so honestly, Sunday morning numbers aren't that big a deal to me. I don't know if that's a bad thing to say, but I want to be hearing about ministries happening in the <laughs> communities, right? One of the best, most effective pastors on our district is a woman her name's Reverend Darlene Hyatt. She had taken a church that was irrelevant in the community and decreasing. It was invisible. Nobody knew they were there. And she's turned it into a place 
that is a central place for ParentLink, uh, develop coats for everyone, uh, domestic violence support for victims, alternatives to violence for those who struggle with that. It's a meeting place for groups of special needs persons. Uh, they host community functions all the time. That Nazarene church is now a place where the town will actually refer people to them for support. Now, it's not our biggest church on the district, but I would say it's one of our flourishing churches. And she's been there for 15 years. If this didn't happen overnight. So what's a healthy wow. church? Mm-mm. That's something you said about it doesn't happen overnight. It does not. Especially we have to build trust. You know, we we actually started at the YMCA and the area we're in. Oh, I remember. And this is something goes back to something you said earlier. Like some, because here in the States, churches have, uh, they don't pay property tax. So like the area that we were moving in when we were getting ready to plant, like it's really hard to get property there because they can't afford to give up any more prop- property tax. Mm-hmm. So we started at the YMCA. Anyway, we ended up buying uh, a church building of another church that was close- closing. But it took us probably about five years to really build trust in the community where then we could start planting seeds. Like we couldn't even plant seeds. Like everything we had to do was just bringing healing and health and restoration to relationships in the community with communities of faith. You know, we had to just continually prove ourselves. So showing, you know, showing up and serving coffee and lemonade to soccer families or giving school supplies to some of the, the elementary schools that are underprivileged in our area, constantly showing up and being consistent and saying we're here and we're not going away. Right. I've been challenged more than once by that question, if your church were to close tomorrow, would your community even notice that you were gone? Somehow we need to be able to influence what's going on in our communities. So when I was at Calgary East, uh, they have community associations in their different cities, like in the areas. And this was an 11 person board. Four positions were open because people weren't willing to serve. And I thought, man, what if we as Calgary East could have four of our members step up and take over those roles. You know, like we would really get an understanding of what was going on in our community and maybe be able to speak into some of those situations by offering a message of hope and and relevance. So, but it's not always easy to get our people to do that. I couldn't take one of the positions because our house was in another area. So I didn't qualify for that community, but. Um, I appreciate the ways that you were describing about your church and what you're, we're not going anywhere. So what can we do to help you and let you know that we care? Was this before or after Calgary East that you started the kids, it's called Kids Town? <laughs> like what exactly is that? I kind of looked it up and I saw it's, it kind of seems like it's more like a rec center type thing. Uh, do you have and, time and for the story? Guys- I have time. Well, okay. Oh, this is, not, I'm just really enjoying visiting with you. This is great. When I I went to Canadian Nazarene College, married my college sweetheart, Kelly Brower, and we took our first church in a a small town of about 6,000 people at the time in central Alberta. We were going to be there for a life. This was our church. We were going to raise our family here, all that. But we quickly noticed that our church was just irrelevant to the community. Some people, like when we greet people, um, they didn't even know that there was a Nazarene church in town. And what, what was a Nazarene? Kelly was, my husband was starting to pray and ask the Lord, how can we build this bridge between the church and our community? He was on a volunteer firefighter. 
I was working uh, in the communications department at the community college, but it was like two separate worlds, right? We we're trying to be this bridge. And he's praying in his office one day and this vision of Kids Town Ministry fell on him. And I know it was of the Lord for about three hours. He just like he could could hardly keep up with the writing. Like these ideas were so fast. That's how I know when it's of the Lord, when things come that quickly. He came home transformed and it changed his life. And so the idea was instead of expecting people to come into our Sunday school classes with their children at the church, we were going to go out into the community parks and uh, put on puppet shows and teach the kids how to unicycle and to juggle. And those were kind of some hobby things that Kelly did. And so we turned it into this ministry and it grew to where we have a trailer where the side of it pops out onto a stage and um, a puppet stage folds out and we have a sound system and we put on, you know, these 20, 25 minute children's shows for free in community parks. And, and that's kind of been our bridge. And it's something that the church sponsored, trying to get people from the park to the pew, right? Trying to build, again, like you said, we're not going anywhere. We're here to invest in your family. In was interesting about Kids Town is at first glance, it might seem like this is a children's ministry, but really it's a whole method of discipleship. And we've learned that as children grow into teens, they need a third place. So home, school, and what's the third right. place? And Kids Town yeah. often became that third place. So it was a place for teens where they were accepted, they were challenged, they were held accountable, they were cheered on, uh, they were supported. And uh, it became a place where teens built leadership principles and practices. And I think everyone in church needs a place to serve. And there's only so many mics for the worship team, right? Do you know what I mean? We think Sunday morning at, on the platform, that's the place to serve, right? Oh my goodness. Everyone needs a place to serve. And we as leaders need to be creating those opportunities for people to serve. And so Kids Town became that place for so many of our teens. And it was often one of those anchors that kept them connected with the, with the church and with the Lord through some of those darker times, you know, when they're doubting or struggling with identity and at school. And many of our former teens are now serving in places of ministry as adults. As time went on, Canadian culture became more secular. It was more scary. People weren't even showing up in the playgrounds with their families. So we've had to change it up a little bit with Kids Town. Now, again, those some of those ethnic areas in, in Calgary, they, they would just live out at the playground. And we would have over 100, 120 kids. They'd show up two hours before Kids Town came up with the, the van and trailer. And they'd be hanging all over. They were so excited. Some of our more suburban areas, the playgrounds just weren't being used, except maybe by those wanting to do nefarious activities. So we've had to change and adapt it a little bit and try right. to do some training in children's ministry skills. On our district, we have a district children's director, part-time paid, Sherry Lynn Martin, as an ordained minister. And so she's done a great job of continuing on trying to support our churches in ministry and train them and develop them in, in discipleship. So she's been working with Trey Brooks from Equip to Engage and trying to keep some things going. But we had children or teens that were spending their allowance money or their part-time job money to buy puppets and unicycles to use in their ministry. Like that was the big what? thing <laughs> is to have a custom puppet that looked like them. It was crazy. It was so much fun, but it was an identity and a place to really 
uh, grow and develop our leaders. So you have to kind of get a plumb line started, right? Because when you leave, who's going to carry on the ministry? Yeah. It wasn't easy, but it was so worth it. That started, oh, I should tell you this too, Joanne. So we started it in 0304 of that church and it tanked. Uh, there was some resistance from the established oh. Sunday school leadership. And we actually left that church after four and a half years, just broken, just questioning our call, you know, whether this was something we should do. And here we had this vision, but we didn't have a place to, to put it into practice. That summer at family camp, Kelly coincidentally met up with a pastor on the district. Their board had support and they wanted a vision for reaching their community, but they didn't know what the vision was. How could they do that? Um, their budget had already been set, so they took a special offering, raised enough support for salary for one year. And Kelly and I went with a six-week-old baby and to that church, and that's how Kidstown started, and they embraced it. <laughs> Next thing you know, we're moving to Calgary and the church is flying wow. them all over the country. Uh, we've taken Kids Town to 11 different countries around the world using these uh, practices oh, of how wow. to reach. So that's a little bit about Kids Town. Um, my husband, Kelly, died in uh, 2004 suddenly of a heart attack. He's only 36. Then I stepped over and took out Kids Town for a while and uh, married a, a fellow named Brad Young about five years later who bless his heart. He is such a soldier, Brad, takes over this other guy's hobbies and hauls his trailer around with unicycles <laughs> and puppets. And his hobby is sound and lighting. So that really, you know, dovetails well with kids town. And I love all these unique ways. You know, we were, I remember reading when I took history and polity uh, and we were so innovative and we were so willing to just try anything and just be in the community and be the light of the world. And I'm like, what happened? <laughs> you know, I mean, I know it's still happening. It's still, it's still there, but I don't know. We tried to perfect it too much and we stopped just letting our hearts explode for Jesus and try all these great things and, and see how God could use them and, and realize that that's, that is the kingdom. That is the church. You know, mm -hmm. it's not what we do on Sunday morning and, and singing and clapping and the church is what happens when we decide that unicycles are a valuable way to communicate the love of Christ. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it reaches oh. people that, you know, Sunday morning doesn't always do, but we have to go where the people are. So we had kids town right. on, on the piece of property outside of our church building. And so some of our neighborhood, this is at Calgary East and some of our neighborhood children were there and Rayleigh was uh, doing face paint with one of the girls and she was about five and she says, points at the building. She goes, what is that? And Rayleigh said, oh, that's a church. I go there on Sunday mornings. This little girl didn't even know what a church was. And she just literally lived across the street from the building. Right. But it took something like face painting for there to build this connection, right? And now that family ended up moving yeah. away. We invited them. They came to our pancake breakfast and things like that that we hold outside, but they eventually moved away. But hopefully, you know, that the seed was planted. And when she comes to mind, I always pray for her that God will continue to reach out to her at some point. She's probably 14 now. When I get frustrated, my husband's always like, well, stories from early on in our ministry. And so he says, we're here to reach the Janets and the Woodies. <laughs> um, and so as he, he got, that's what, that's what he reminds me because, you know, both those people kind of just epitomize why we, why we planted in the first place and 
um, he's he's not an ordained minister, but he's he has a pastor's heart. So uh, so he reminds me frequently. Well, uh, any last words of encouragement you or hope you want to share? Sure. With listeners? I would like to remind people that pandemics don't last forever. There's been pandemics before yes. and they're not here today. They do end. So let's be ready for when that time comes. Something I like to say is let's not waste a good crisis. Let's get ready for when this pandemic right. is going to end. What matters to us? What do we want the church to be like in five years? You know, the church is still here and there's much to do. Of course, it's not easy. Nothing worthwhile ever is. So let's dig in and let's prepare for uh, what's going to be happening. And I'm excited. I think God's preparing the way we need to be attentive and seeing where he is at work around us and then partner with him. Yeah. Yeah. I'm grateful for you, Joanne. This is exciting. I've appreciated hearing what's happening in the States and in your corner of the world and the effective ways that you are to reach your community. It's encouraging. Thank you. Well, and it's encouraging to hear that women have lots of places to serve in Canada. So oh. some, some of us might get our visa. We could we'll use do it. you. We'll come. We could we'll, use we'll you. Start a church. One of the challenges <laughs> is that to bring people and give them a work visa, they often require a full-time position. So, you know, if you have a spouse yeah. that can come here, you know, and start off too, that, that would be really helpful. Let's just get you on the ground, get our boots on the ground and then apply for that permanent residency yep. status. Send your resumes our way. We are looking for some <laughs> spirit-filled leaders. And if you have a bucket list, you need to put on there to come visit Banff, Alberta. So it's in the Rocky Mountains. It's the northern part of the Rockies All down right. in Colorado. Give me a call. You're welcome to stay over. It's a cheap hotel right here, very cheap. And we're only an hour away from one of the most beautiful spots in the world, I'm telling you. All right. Well, it's on my bucket list. My husband would my husband will he 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 would agree. He'd be like, "Oh yeah, okay, I'll do mountains." So yeah, well, may I pray for right. you, Joanne? Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let me do that. Gracious Father, I am so grateful for your presence here through the, your Holy Spirit. And I ask, Lord, for your anointing to continue to be upon Joanne and her husband and that church family. God, would you um, bless them with the resources, uh, both financially and with laborers, to accomplish the work that you have called them to do. Thank you, Lord, for this season of life. Uh, where we can sit back and reflect and dwell on what it is that that is there before us. Father, I pray that this pandemic would only spur us on into new and creative and innovative ways of reaching people for you. Father, may we be attentive to where your Holy Spirit is work. It is our desire, Lord, to partner with you. May we not be blind to that, Lord, but have our eyes open and our ears prepared to hear. Father, may we be thinking of ourselves less and uh, respond with the boldness of the Holy Spirit to sharing about your love with those around us. God, I pray that you would continue to um, be with us here in Canada and in the United States. Father, we talked a little bit about how we tend to formalize ourselves out of effectiveness. Teach us, Lord, to respond, to react quickly, and uh, Father, to be uh, willing to sacrifice uh, maybe pride, uh, maybe some physical comforts, Lord, to in, in order to uh, partner with your kingdom. Father, I pray for those who are listening in on this podcast that you would encourage them where they are at today. Fill us, Father, with words of hope and encouragement. Uh, would you inspire us, Lord? We are looking for miracles to come from you. And so uh, how grateful we would be to be a part of that. Continue to be with us, Lord, until the time when we can come and meet face to face. 
And we look forward to that. Father, may you be the one that receives all the honor and the glory through what we say and do through the remainder of our day today. Uh, We ask in Jesus' name.